Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Father, we are here, and you are here. May we be here together, and may we be conscious of your presence with us. In the name of your darling Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, St. Michael's. Epiphanies. I heard it said recently that epiphanies are mental moments where we have instant clarity, which can turn into motivation to change and charge forward. It's those moments of realization, big or small, when we realize that there is more going on than what meets the eye, than what lies on the surface. Like the moment you realize the real problem, why something isn't working. That could be in a relationship. That could be in a romantic relationship. That can be in another type of relationship. It could be something at work. It could be a do-it-yourself project after 15 trips to Lowe's and you finally realize what the problem is. It's like when you realize what you want to be when you grow up, what your gifts are, your aptitudes are. It's like when you realize you're in love. It's like when you step on the scale and realize, wow, I weigh way more than what I thought. And then your wife says, are you so surprised you ate a lot of carrot cake? That was me on Friday. It's those aha moments that have the potential to change our understanding, to change our perspective, and even change the direction of our very lives. It's the last Sunday of Epiphany in the church year. And throughout this season, we've celebrated several aha moments in the lives of ordinary people as they suddenly realize that maybe this Jesus of Nazareth, maybe there's more to this person than what we thought. Maybe he's not just an ordinary man. Maybe there's more to him than meets the eye than what lies on the surface. And we've also heard Jesus teach some things that were meant to help us to suddenly realize that there is more to God and more to this life than what we thought. We began the season with Jesus manifesting himself as a young boy to three kings or wise men or magi from the east who responded to this child Jesus in worship and paid homage to him and gave him gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And then we visited the Jordan River and we took a peek in on Jesus' baptism. And we heard the voice from heaven speak over him. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Then we watched Jesus call the first four disciples, Andrew and his brother Peter, James and his brother John, and their aha moment when they realized that there was more to Jesus than what they thought. And they responded to him by leaving everything behind and following him. And then we listen to Jesus reveal some elements and principles of God's kingdom in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
This kingdom he came to proclaim and embody and inaugurate. It's God's restoration project for his broken and wounded world. And now, this Sunday, as we close out Epiphany, we find ourselves on a mysterious mountain where a strange event occurs in the presence of only three of Jesus' disciples. They're kind of his executive team, his inner circle. That's Peter, that's James, and John. We call this mountain the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus brings these three followers up this mountain for an exclusive event to witness something. It is an event they'll never forget and an event they don't fully comprehend. It'll be later that they remember what happened on this mountain. And they'll look at it from a different perspective on Easter Sunday. And on this mountain, Jesus' appearance changes. He's blinding to behold. His face shines like the sun. His clothes become dazzling white. And then suddenly there appears these two towering Old Testament figures that every Jewish person knew. That's Moses and that's Elijah. See, Moses was God's agent of deliverance, of salvation, who liberated the children of Israel from slavery and oppression under Pharaoh in Egypt. It was through Moses that God parted the Red Sea. Maybe you're familiar with the story that God gave the Ten Commandments, turned these tribes of slaves into a nation, and led the children of Israel in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years. And at the end of Moses' life, he spoke of another that was to come, a prophet that would be like him. And that when he arrived, God had commanded that all should listen to him. And so, an expectation and a search for who this prophet would be went from generation to generation. And then there's Elijah, who was a prophet of great power in his day. He worked numerous wonders and miracles during his lifetime in ministry. And if you know the story, Elijah didn't die. He didn't see death the way you and I do. He was transported into the heavenly realm by a chariot of fire. And so a tradition started in the ancient Jewish community that Elijah would come back, that Elijah would return in some way around the time that God would inaugurate his kingdom here on earth, around the time where God would launch his last phase of his restoration project to heal our broken and wounded world and usher in a new age of peace and prosperity and justice and unity. See, Elijah and Moses both came to attest, not to themselves, but to Jesus. To point to Jesus. So that these three people, Peter, James, and John, might catch a glimpse, might suddenly realize who Jesus really is. And that through their story that they tell regarding this event, people throughout the ages might catch that same glimpse might have that sudden realization. See, Moses' presence says, this is the one I was talking about. This is the prophet, like me, a deliverer, a savior, a liberator, a teacher. This is the one 
that we need to listen to. Elijah's presence says, this is the one who will inaugurate God's kingdom, the one who will right all the wrongs. He's the one that we've been waiting for, both in heaven and on earth, and will reunite heaven and earth as they once were. Where it is ruptured, he will mend it. Where it is broken, he will heal it. But how would Jesus do that? How would Jesus inaugurate this kingdom? Well, he didn't do it by force, or by violence, or by plague, or by military might, or by an exercise of power, or by calling down flames or fireballs from heaven, or snapping his fingers and eradicating all the bad people, leaving only the quote-unquote good ones. He had a different approach. He did it through compassion, and through love, and through sacrifice, and through suffering, he is the one who will free us from slavery and bondage and oppression to sin. He is the one who will heal us from our disease, our infection, our virus that has caused us to cater to our selfish desires and exploit others and corrupt this world and our very souls and our very lives. He is the one who will absorb into himself all injustice and hate and guilt and shame and self-centeredness, our broken pasts, our broken present, our broken futures, the harm we have done that we have caused to ourselves and to others and our thoughts and our words and in our actions, the harm that others have done to us, those things that seem like we can never break free from, those things that have like tattooed our very lives, the things that tell us that we are not worth anything. He would carry all of that to a hill and nail it to a cross and bury it in a grave so that you and I could have redemption, be set free, the forgiveness of sins, and the healing of our souls. There is more going on with this Jesus than meets the eye, than what lies on the surface. He's not just some poor carpenter from some hick town in Nazareth. He's not just a wise and gifted teacher or messenger of light with pithy sayings. He's not an ancient medicine man or a magician or a sorcerer. He's the king of the universe through whom all things were created and in whom all things exist. Without Christ, the universe would implode. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the chosen, the righteous, the holy one, and at whose name every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who this is. What does that have to do with you? Well, that was a nice little lesson. Thank you for the Bible lesson, Father Greg. What does that have to do with me? Why should I even care? Well, it has everything to do with you. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done, you can actually know the truth of who you are. That there is more to you than meets the eye. 
that there is more to you than what lies on the surface. You are more than what they've said about you. You are not the funny one, or the smart one, or the sensitive one, or the pretty one, or the successful one, or the ugly one, or the winner, or the loser, or the failure, or the screw-up. You're not what you can do, or what you can produce, or what you can provide. The grades in your report card don't define you. How much money you have in the bank doesn't define you. How many tackles and touchdowns you had in high school doesn't define you. How many toys you have in your garage doesn't define you. Your reputation, good, bad, or indifferent in this community or anything on the outside doesn't define you. You are more than your successes and your failures. You are more than your criminal record. You are more than your achievements and losses. You are more than what you've done. You are more than what's been done unto you. Your mistakes, your bad decisions, the wounds that others have inflicted upon you, you are more than damaged goods. None of this defines who you are. Why is that? Because the very same words that the voice from heaven spoke over Jesus at his baptism at the River Jordan, which are the very same words that the voice from heaven spoke on the mountain, this very morning, are the same words that are spoken over you. They declare your true identity, who you really are. This cannot be overstated. It can never be overemphasized. This is the most important thing. Because you are not the mask, the facade, or the shell that the experiences of your life has constructed and covered you with. You're more than that. You are God's beloved. Your identity is that you are loved. You're his child, his son, his daughter. God is well pleased with you. When God thinks of you, when God looks at you, no matter what you're doing or not doing, he is overwhelmed with love and joy and delight. Not because of what you can do for him, because of who you are. He's like a new dad holding his infant baby, looking into its eyes and saying, I am proud to be your dad. That's who you are. God is proud to call you his child. In his eyes, you are of immeasurable value and worth, worthy enough that he would send his son to suffer and die and rise again for you. You are more than what meets the eye. You're more than what lies on the surface. The story, what it says, what it represents, about both about Jesus and about you, provides an opportunity for an epiphany, for a mental moment of instant clarity, which can turn to a motivation for change and a direction forward. An aha moment that has the potential to change your understanding, your perspective, your perception of who God is. I don't know what you grew up with. I don't know what was said about who God was to you as a child or what you understood him to be. He's so much more.
and you're so much more. If you would only be open, because this is the crux. You can hear this your whole life, but if your heart is not open to receive the love and the invitation to enter into this union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to embrace who you really, really are. It's your choice to accept this. It's all about who you're gonna listen to. Are you gonna listen to the world? Are you gonna listen to that inner critical voice that try to tells you that you're, you're nothing? You're nothing, you're a failure. You're never amount to anything. What they said about you is true. Or are you going to listen to the voice of Jesus that tells you who you really are? You're his. Your life is hidden with him. John says in his letter, as he is, so are we in this world. You are more than what meets the eye. You are more than what lies on the surface. And so is he. Amen. I invite you in a brief moment of silence. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.